You're listening to the Q's Podcast, episode 81. Hello, welcome to episode 81 of the Q's Podcast. My name is James Lenz, Q's Professional Development Manager and host and producer of the show. We use this form to speak with credit union industry leaders and cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. We have a lot of fun things going down in this episode. Number one, I am interviewing one of the world's foremost global experts on the science of motivation. And number two, this is about a topic I haven't gotten into on the podcast yet. Our guest for today's show is Susan Fowler. Susan Fowler is a researcher and speaker on the science of motivation. She's also a best-selling author many times over. Some of her books include Why Motivating People Doesn't Work and What Does, Self-Leadership and the One-Minute Manager, which she co-authored with Dr. Ken Blanchard, and she just released the book Master Your Motivation, The Three Scientific Truths for Achieving Your Goals. Susan is also a professor at the University of San Diego in the Executive Leadership Program. Susan will also accompany several other speakers at the 2020 Q Symposium, a CEO board chair exchange, including Harry Kramer, Kellogg School of Management professor, former CEO of Baxter and best-selling author of the book, From Values to Action, The Four Principles of Values-Based Leadership. Craig Weber is a former Vistage Speaker of the Year and the best-selling author of the book, Conversational Capacity, The Secret to Building Successful Teams that Perform When the Pressure is On. We will also feature Holly Schroth from the Haas School of Business, University of Berkeley. She'll be leading sessions on negotiations and influence, the art of working with people and getting things done. We have so much more. It's taking place at the beautiful Fairmont Orchid Resort on the Big Island of Hawaii, February 10th through the 13th of 2020. To register for this event, please visit cues.org slash S-Y-M-P. All right, as you listen to this episode, three major takeaways will be quite clear. Susan Fowler shares that motivation is a skill. And you'll also find out how leaders can help their team find their own personal motivational outlooks during change initiatives and or projects. And an understanding of the different types of motivational outlooks and why leaders should begin using the optimal motivation process for their team in order to produce successful results. Here's my interview with Susan Fowler. Hi, Susan. Thank you for coming on the show and spending some time with Q's Podcast Nation. Welcome. Thank you, James. I think this is a really important audience, so I'm I'm really pleased to be here. Yes, we are very proud of our members, whether it be CEOs and executives, board of directors, or future leaders. I know they're always willing to grow in their personal and team development. And based on your background, I know we'll be able to deliver information on the science of motivation, along with action items for our listeners. Susan, I often like to start the show with a little bit of inspiration by asking guests if they have a success quote or mantra that they live by professionally. Do you have one that you'd be willing to share with our listeners? I have a lot of them. <laughs> I, I need a lot of them. Uh, but I think probably the one that comes to mind, top of mind, is I teach what I most need to learn. Uh, so what I find is that through my teaching, I 
in order to be authentic, I really need to embrace and practice what I'm teaching. So it makes my life better, and I feel like I'm a better role model for the people that I'm trying to, to help as well. That is great advice, Susan. My motto is, tell me I forget, show me I remember, involve me I understand. I think about that in all walks of life, whether it's professional life or personal life with family, and I can see how your mantra applies to all aspects of your life and certainly professional life. So this is exciting. We're going to talk about the science of motivation. Motivation is key for course teaching and learning. Motivation is key for leadership. Motivation is key for directing change in an organization. Susan, I shared a little of your background in the intro, but could you share some more insights about your background and experiences? I'm also curious on the origin of your focus, you know, the science of motivation. How did that come to be? I think our listeners will find it rather interesting. Well, they, probably a lot of your listeners can relate to it. About almost 40 years ago, I just saw something on television that caused me to become a vegetarian overnight. That was a real surprise for me and a lot of people because I was the girl that loved meat and actually had a, a, a pot of fat on my, on my <laughs> stove because everything tasted better with animal fat. <laughs> and I just literally overnight became a vegetarian. And I was intrigued by that. And people would say, oh, you're so disciplined. How do you do that? And I realized it didn't require any discipline whatsoever. It appeared to other people to look like discipline, but for me, it didn't require any willpower or discipline, and I thought, why is that? And there was other things in my life that I couldn't change, that I wanted to change, and I realized that motivation is at the heart of everything we do and everything we don't do but wish we did, and so I, I just went on a quest for understanding motivation, and that led me to contemporary motivation science. And, and James, the thing that's fascinating to me is that it usually takes 40 to 60 years for the research that's happening in the academic and scientific fields to make its way to popular culture or into businesses and organizations. Wow. And so I'm excited that I've actually been on the forefront of that process, that the people within the academic community have really embraced my books and my work and endorse it and are, are partners in it because it's complex. It's, it's, it's not easy science. And um, what I've really been working to do for the last 25 years is to interpret the science and make it applicable, make it so that we can actually use it in our everyday lives. So it's an exciting quest, and it's one that it's a journey I've been on for 40 years. Wow, that's really interesting, and it happened so easily. So that developed a simple curiosity. How can that be? So that certainly falls under the umbrella of your mantra, I teach what I most need to learn. You embrace the concepts and relationships and skill of motivation. That's so fascinating. Yeah, I, I figure that I'm I'm a pretty normal person. And so <laughs> if I'm curious about it or I have a need for it, then other people might as well. Absolutely. 
Now, you've gone as far as developing a model and a course of action that will help leaders guide their team toward the kind of motivation that not only increases productivity and engagement, but to ensure that it gives them a profound sense of purpose and fulfillment. Can you provide, Susan, an example or situation or two to help listeners better understand the different types of motivational outlooks that exist and what types of motivation strategies are leaders currently practicing in organizations? Yeah, you know, um, and this is a, a, a really big change. Um, this is like a, the greatest breakthrough in motivation science has been this understanding that motivation is not what we thought it was, that based on all the animal studies and the use of carrots and sticks to motivate people or the whole idea that power is a motivational force for leaders, what we now know is that motivation is based not on how much motivation a person has, but the quality of motivation a person has. So it's the reason behind your motivation that matters most. And what the science has shown is that there's six distinct ways of being motivated. So my spectrum of motivation model, um, the spectrum motivation shows these six different ways of being motivated. And I think what might be really relevant to your listeners, uh, if, if you are affecting change in a credit union, for example, to, to meet the needs of your changing members, then you need to understand that a large part of your employee base may have what's called disinterested motivational outlook, which means they're so overwhelmed by the changes that are taking place or they're so unable or unable to cope with ambiguity because a lot of times during change, people don't really have a clear understanding of what that's going to mean to them. And we know from change research that people are less interested in how the change is going to benefit the credit union or how the change is going to benefit the members. They're really more interested initially in what does this mean to me? What does this mean for my job, my work, my daily life? And so oftentimes organizations not understanding the process of how change happens kind of ignore that piece. And so a lot of their people go into this disinterested motivational outlook. So I, like I was talking to a guy the other day, and I asked him how he was doing with the changes going on in his organization, and he said, Susan, I'm just running in place. I'm just waiting for it to be over. Mm-hmm. People like stick their head in the sand and just wait. And so organizations lose that energy and, and miss out on the opportunity to make the change truly effective. So that's one big message around motivation. Um, another is that a lot of people go into what we call the external motivational outlook, where they s- simply say, you know what, it's a good thing I'm getting paid to do this because there's not a lot of other good reason to do it. So they, they depend on the incentives, the bonuses, the, you know, the perks that are going to come with the change. But science says that that is uh, a real suboptimal way of being motivated, that that's not bringing out creativity, innovation, or discretionary effort. So the suboptimal ways of being motivated are disinterested, external, and the third one is being imposed, that people are doing it because they feel like they have to. They're afraid of what's going to happen if they don't. And so they feel pressure. They feel tension. And again, that's obviously not a good psychological way of being that's going to help really foster a positive change. So I think that this understanding that there's optimal ways of being motivated and suboptimal ways of being motivated, just understanding that there's six different ways of being motivated, I think is really an aha moment for a lot of leaders. Susan, what is your approach to motivation? 
So my a whole approach to motivation is really an evolutionary idea that motivation is a skill. And it's the skill to shift your motivational outlook from suboptimal to optimal. Now, leaders can facilitate that shift. They can't cause that shift. And so what my message is to leaders is to help people identify their current motivational outlook. And if it is suboptimal, if people are feeling disinterested or externally motivated or imposed, then to facilitate a shift to optimal motivation. And optimal motivation means that people are able to align really important values that they have, not just the values of the organization, but their values to the changes that are taking place or the goals that they're being asked to achieve. Leaders can facilitate that understanding by having values conversations with people. You know, one of my big pet peeves is that I'm sure that most of your credit unions, for example, have values. They probably have plaques on the walls or cards that they give their employees and members, like here's here are our credit union values. But then they stop and they don't ask the individuals working within the credit union, what are your values? How do your values align to our values? And how do your values align with what we're asking you to do? So that's the aligned motivational outlook. That's a really important step that that leaders can take. And then another level of optimal motivation is what we call the integrated motivational outlook. And this is where people feel a deep sense of purpose. And, you know, I've seen some really effective credit union commercials on television where credit unions, for example, are appealing to military families and that, you know, we're in this mission together or that credit unions are really what enable families to experience their dreams or send their kids to college. And so there's a real sense of purpose. And so leaders need to be able to help individuals make that link between the goals they're being asked to do, the changes that are being made, and that deep sense of purpose that that individual who works at the credit union could could feel. And so, um, you know, that's where transformational leadership happens, is when you can help people really relate to the sense of purpose, not just that the organization has, but that they can self-identify with that sense of purpose. And then the Sixth motivational outlook is called the inherent motivational outlook, and this is the most intrinsic of all the motivational outlooks, and this is where people just do things because it's fun. They enjoy it. And so, you know, leaders might need to remind people or help people recollect that there's actually things they enjoy doing at work. (laughs) Now, I have to tell you, like for me, I chose my field of work as a researcher, writer, speaker, because I love doing all of those things. But there's a lot of things in my work that I don't love. Expense reports, going through security at the airport. I mean, I can tell you a lot of things that I will never be inherently motivated to do. And so I might feel more imposed or disinterested. And so my job as an individual is to learn how to shift my motivation so that I can align with my values or connect to a deeper sense of purpose. And as a leader, your job is to help people make that shift as well. Our guest will share how to shift motivation in a moment. But first, let's think about your digital strategy. Are you really prepared to meet your member needs? And how about your future members? That's where our sponsor for today's episode, Acela, can help. Do you feel confident in your organization's digital strategy? Do you have one in place? Creating the right digital strategy and executing it effectively can be complicated. 
Well, digital might be complex, but your strategy doesn't have to be. Let Asella be your trusted partner, helping you achieve your organizational goals through digital strategy and technology delivery. Q's podcast listeners can take advantage of Asella's free digital experience appraisal to learn how effective your digital tactics are today. Receive a personalized roadmap to achieving your goals and supporting your digital evolution. Visit acela.net slash credit unions to get started. That's A-C-C-E-L-L-A dot N-E-T slash credit unions to kickstart your organization's digital strategy. What is the next step? I mean, how do you change your outlook or frame of mind for those tasks that you are not as interested in doing? I'm so glad you asked that question because that's really at the heart of what I want people to hear. You know, I think it's helpful for people to understand the science and the six motivational outlooks and and to know that this is valid science, that it's not just my opinion about motivation. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm a speaker who speaks on the science of motivation. But that means I need to give people strategies for how do you use this effectively. So in my book, Why Motivating People Doesn't Work and What Does?, I encourage leaders to have motivation conversations with people. And then in my new book, Master Your Motivation, I am teaching individuals how to have that motivation conversation with themselves. And the conversation um, really is around three things. And, and these three things are what we call psychological needs that are at the heart of optimal motivation. And so what I encourage you to do is to just ask three simple questions. The first question is around choice. What choices do I have? Because choice is one of the psychological needs that if you feel you don't have a, have a perception of choice, then you will not ever be optimally motivated. So we need to remind ourselves that no matter what, we have choices and that everything we do, getting up and getting you know, ready and going to work is a choice. We could choose to stay in bed or to not support our families or to be destitute. You know, we could make that choice. Um, we can choose to be kind to a, a member or to just get our jobs done. So every, every day we're making choices. And so sometimes we just have to remember that we have choice in order to make the best ones for ourselves. So if you're, if you're on a diet, the reason diets don't work is because we say, oh, I can't eat cheese which I know is a killer if you're from Wisconsin, um, or, I, you know, I can't eat meat, um, or, you know, uh, I can't eat a muffin. And as soon as we say that, we have just eroded our psychological need for choice. And so what do we want more than anything in the world? We think it's cheese. We think it's meat. We think it's um, a muffin. But it's not about that. It's about our need for choice. And so we could say to ourselves and say, oh, I'm choosing the muffin because, you know, I need the muffin. We could say, I'm choosing not to eat the muffin. And so it's a perception of choice. And, and that's a skill that people can learn simply by asking themselves every day, what choices do I have? And then the second question is around the second psychological need for connection. And connection is our need to be connected with each other um, in pure and genuine ways. It's our need to be connected to our values and a sense of purpose. It's our need to feel that we're contributing to something greater than ourselves. So what if we asked ourselves every day, what am I doing that's making a connection? How am I connecting with people I work with? Or how am I contributing to the members of our credit union? Or how am I fulfilling my values 
through the work that I did today and through the choices that I made. So if we can start to link our choices to our connection, to our values, our purpose, to people, to meaning, then that's two of the three psychological needs that we need to have in order to be optimally motivated. And then if we ask ourselves the third question, which is around competence. So our third psychological need is for competence. And if we just simply ask ourselves this question every day, what did I learn? Um, what did I learn today? And if we, if we started to get connected, reconnected to how much we love learning, Watch a baby learning to walk. They keep falling down, but they don't stand up crying and beating themselves up for falling. Instead, they stand back up and they're laughing and they're joyful because that is our nature. Our nature is that we love to learn. But sometimes because we focus on mistakes or or what we did wrong or we focus on outcomes instead of process, we forget that we love learning so much. So, you know, just imagine... James, if every day a leader would ask, or maybe it's every week, I don't, it doesn't have to be every day, but, you know, if, if I'm your manager and I ask you, James, tell me about the choices you made today. Which choices did you make that you thought were good ones? And what would you like to choose over again? And what would you choose that would make it better tomorrow? And what if I asked you, James, tell me about how, how you found meaning today, or, or tell me about something you did today that you felt was valuable or made a really good contribution. And tell me what you learned today. Those are such powerful questions. And if you direct those questions to something specific, like a diet or to a policy or a new change behavior, it will actually literally help people. And I see it all the time in my workshops. I literally see people before my eyes shift their motivation from suboptimal to optimal through those three areas of questioning. Very well stated, Susan. You're referencing those three psychological needs that are at the forefront of any discussion surrounding motivation. So to grow in this area, it requires training and self-reflection. I know for you, you mentioned this journey started uh, regarding your path of nutrition. You decided to be a vegetarian almost at a snap of a finger, just like that. And uh, that may be very unique, but it started your journey on the science of motivation. But not everybody is going to be like that, of course. But what you're providing and what you are going to present at the upcoming Q Symposium in February of 2020 is a forum for understanding that motivation is a skill. You know, James, I'm so excited to be able to speak to your symposium, because I feel that if leaders can learn the skill of motivation and shift their own motivation for doing things that they might not embrace totally as a leader and become good role models for the people they lead, that they can literally begin to change the quality of people's lives at work. And I think that begins a ripple effect that really makes a difference in the world. So I'm really anticipating, James, is that uh, people will actually have a bit of an experience of what it feels like to have the different types of motivation so that they might be more compelled to be aware of their motivational outlooks at any time and then have an experience of using the skill of motivation. And even though we're only going to be together for a short time, who knows, maybe somebody thinking about something they really wanted to accomplish, if only they had the motivation, maybe they'll shift their motivation. 
Susan, now is a good time to help deepen and enrich this experience for our listeners. If you could, Susan, please take a little time here to share information about your books that you've authored. Thank you for asking about that, James, because the books are really the way that people can get more in-depth information. So Why Motivating People Doesn't Work and What Does was written primarily for leaders, managers, teachers, parents, although I am working on a book called Why Motivating Kids Doesn't Work and What Does, because so much of the research has been done in education and um, in parenting, so I think that would be helpful. And then Master Your Motivation is really more of a a book that's for individuals. So it's to help you to to really master your motivation for uh, goals or tasks in your personal and professional life and and apply the science for yourself. I've also written a book called Self-Leadership and the One-Minute Manager with Dr. Ken Blanchard. And this is a book that is near and dear to my heart because there's a lot of uh, correlation between mastering your motivation and being a self-leader. So um, those are three of the, the books that I would highly recommend that people take a look at. There's also a book called Achieve Leadership Genius. All these are available on Amazon um, or at you know, finer bookstores in the world. And by the way, I just want to mention that I know you have some international listeners and international members. My book, has uh, Why Motivating People Doesn't Work and What Does, has been translated into over 14 languages. Wow. I've vetted these ideas literally around the world. I just got back from a 25-day, seven-country tour. I also just got back from Russia, <laughs> so where, where both of my books have been translated into Russian. So uh, these are, are global ideas that work for any individual, no matter what your gender, generation, culture, or um, country. Uh, and if people would like to go to www.susanfowler.com, there's videos available there, webcasts, other webinars, a lot of blogs and articles. So a lot of wonderful resources at www.susanfowler.com. Susan, I noticed you have a new assessment that's available on your website. Can you share some information about that? We're really excited about this. It's called What's Your MO? What's Your Motivational Outlook? And it's a fun survey that people can take and get immediate results about whether their motivation is suboptimal or optimal, and then receive a little bit more in-depth information about what that actually means and what they might be able to do about it. Listeners, I think we're spoiled today by having a global leader on the science of motivation Susan Fowler, thank you so much for being a guest on the Q's Podcast and spending time with Q's Podcast Nation. We look forward to you delivering the general session at the Q Symposium. It's taking place in early February 2024. More information, check out qs.org slash S-Y-M-P. And for more information about Susan, you can find her at susanfowler.com, S-U-S-A-N-F-O-W-L-E-R.com. Thank you, Susan, so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it, James. I really am grateful for the opportunity to speak to your group today and in February 2020. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the show. If you found the Q's podcast valuable, we encourage you to share this Q's podcast episode and other episodes with your network. You can subscribe to the show on just about any podcast directory. It's pretty simple to do. And you can also view the show notes at cumanagement.com slash podcasts. If you'd like to reach out to me and other members of the podcast team, just send an email to podcast at cues.org. 
I want to thank Susan Fowler for spending some time with us today to find out more about our unique industry event, the Q Symposium, a CEO chairman exchange where Susan will be speaking. Please visit Q's.org slash S-Y-M-P. I also want to thank our sponsor for the show, Sella. For more talent development content from Q's, visit Q's.org. That is C-U-E-S dot O-R-G. For more talent development content from Q's, visit Q's.org now. That's C-U-E-S dot O-R-G. If you're a Q's member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. Visit Q's.org slash membership to learn more. Q's is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, executives, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Q's can help you realize your potential, visit Q's.org today.